Welcome to the Pool Nation podcast, where it's all pool talk. And we ain't talking about netting and jetting or splashing and dashing. We're talking about becoming a nation of pool pros. We talk about the latest products, trends, and training in the pool industry. Now let's welcome your host with over a decade of industry insider experience and still the reigning champion of Marco Polo, Edgar De Jesus, and his co-host, John J.J. Flawless, the fastest netter in the West, and Zach the Pool Boy Nicholas. Welcome, everyone, to the Pool Nation Live podcast with myself, your host, Edgar De Jesus. And yes, I am the reigning champion of Marco Polo, along with John J.J. Flawless, the fastest netter in the West, and the famous Zach, the pool boy, Nicholas. In this episode with our Nation of Pool Pros, we continue the conversation on the hot topic of the hiring process. Today, we do a deep dive into the three steps of hiring. We talk to Leanne De Jesus, an HR expert with over 30 years experience in human resources, including training, development, and labor employment. I want to welcome everyone to our live podcast, the podcast where it's all pool talk, and we ain't talking about netting and jetting and splashing and dashing. We're talking about becoming a nation of pool pros. And yes, we will talk about the latest products, trends, and training in the pool industry. But before we get started today, I want to thank our sponsors for this podcast, the Ultimate Pool Tools, the SPPA, and the PoolManUniversity.com. We want to thank them for their continued support. Zach, good evening. Good evening, everybody. I think this is going to be a really great episode to get you thinking about your hiring process. Leanne has helped me work through a handful of hiring-related things. So big thank you for that. And I'm super excited to learn some more things tonight. Leanne, good evening. Good evening. I'm excited to be here and to have a bigger audience than just Zach. So hopefully it'll, it'll be helpful information. <laughs> Guys, John is off this week catching up with some work, and he is like everybody else out there, guys, just slammed and trying to catch up. So, John, when you hear this on the podcast, we miss your brother. It's kind of a little bit of odd. This is the first time that I do a podcast without John. Zach, it does really feel weird not doing the live uh, on our normal time, which is normally in the morning. Today's Thursday for us, and it's night at six o'clock instead of our normal time slot. But this has just been a crazy week, and I think the summer is in full swing. So are you feeling the heat, Zach, or do you think we're in full swing? I don't know what it is. It's something, but <clears throat> it's it's definitely busy, stressful, exhausting. So we'll see. We'll see if it ever turns out. It's just crazy out there with regards to, you know, obviously this chlorine shortage, And, you know, you got California that they're seeing that liquid shortage out here. It's a complete Cal Hypo shortage. And it's interesting because there's not much talk about it going on. And what you can find out here is interesting because you can't find Cal Hypo, but you can find liquid. And uh, it's just really interesting. I did reach out to the marketing director over at Biolab because I heard that they're planning on having that plant back open And he was gracious enough to respond. And here is what they released to us in their press release. And that was, we are actively working to rebuild our plant, which is a $170 million investment slated to be completed in spring of 2022, which will operate at 30% greater production capacity. 
This means we will be well positioned to rapidly address the shortage of the pool disinfectant agents in North America. Until then, we've been able to secure all alternate sources of raw materials and are still producing chlorine tablets that we'll be supplying to our retailers throughout the season. Unfortunately, there may be times when retailers do not have adequate supply on the shelves. In those cases, we are encouraging pool owners to keep visiting the retailers for added solution. He also added, I can tell you that our corporate goal is to have our plant operating again by the spring of 2022, and that while we still are producing product between now and that time, we expect that supplies will remain limited due to unprecedented demand, shipping constraints, and source materials, also labor shortages, and other factors that may hit many industries like ours. Yeah, this news couldn't come at a better time. I've been talking to you a lot lately about, you know, kind of what the plan is. And we've all seen the craziness that's going on out there. And this at least gives us an idea of what kind of time frame we're looking at. And now what we need to do is figure out a plan on how to survive it until then, and then execute on that plan. And at some point, this will end. We just got to hang on. Yeah, it's been, you know, obviously an, an up and down roller coaster. And when this came out today, I thought it was great news because it at least gives us light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, if you look at it, Zach, and you look at spring of 2022, that's kind of right before the swim season. And it kind of allows us to get at least some good news in the middle of this chaotic situation. Um, I thought it was great for them. You know, I reached out to them and it was he was so gracious to just kind of at least respond and get back to us and and tell us that that's kind of what they're trying to do. But if you look at it, it's the same thing that they're having the problem with, you know, the source materials. They're talking about the labor shortages. They're talking about the shipping constraints. It's it's all it doesn't matter what industry we talk to right now. Everybody is going through the exact same situation. An interesting point on that, you know, is even if they were able to manufacture right now, would we still be running into some of these shortages because of the container shortage and things like that? Yeah. And then you look at, you know, Cal Hypo, they have an issue with buckets, right? Obviously, the plastic has been a big issue. And just like you were saying, the, the containers as well. So it, it's a great point. It's like maybe even if they are able to produce it, can they get it out? Can they ship it? Can they, you know, have all that out? So that's just been been crazy. but. I think it's just great to be able to know, hey, they broke ground, they're starting, they hope to be ready by, you know, 2022. The other thing is that's going to be a brand new plant. There's going to be a lot newer technology, a lot newer equipment. And so that'll be definitely something good. So, hey guys, before we get this podcast started, I want to give a shout out to a couple of the people that took the Pool Nation business training class last Saturday, and that was Jay Breakfields from Breakfields Pool Service. Joel from Hokulea, Zach, was on the training. Great guy. A lot, of, a lot of great questions. Kevin from Callahan Pools out in Florida. And I better not forget Laura from Breakfield Pool. She was there as well. So this week's shout out goes to them, guys. We are going to be doing another class, but not till September because everybody is in the full summer mode. And with all the craziness right now, focus is on obviously running and getting your pools done. So for those of you that had to reschedule the class, you'll be able to take it on September 18th. We'll talk about it and you can message me and we will get you set for that. Leanne, I want to thank you for coming on to the podcast and talking to us about the hiring process. Before we get started, we like our listeners to kind of be able to get a little bit of background from our guests. So 
Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. I've been practicing in human resources for a little over 30 years. And when I got into it, when I was, I won't say how old I was, but when I got into it, when I was much younger, um, I realized the minute I got into it, that that's what I would end up doing for the rest of my life. And I've done all primarily generalist work. And from a human resources standpoint, that means all things human resources, whether it's hiring, terminations, layoffs, policies and procedures, um, training, development, benefits, everything that encompasses, you know, anything to do with an associate. So I really prefer the generalist type work. I've done that for most of my career. I did have a stint where I worked for um, an entertainment company and we'll call them Disney because they are Disney (laughs) for for a couple of years, just doing labor relations, which is all of the union type things. Um, And now I work for companies um, that are non-union. And so it's been very interesting, kind of one spectrum to the other of the human resources. So I've had, uh, you know, my toe dipped in just about every aspect of the labor and employment aspects of employment for associates, primarily large corporations. I've never worked for a small independent company. So most of my references are based on, you know, corporate experiences. So if we were to ask you, what's your favorite part of HR, what would you say? Well, that's a hard one. Um, But for you, especially because you know my personality, I really like the challenges that come along with human resources. I like to be able to take a step back and look at a problem and come up with a solution. And there's always a problem. And, you know, so therefore I honestly believe there's always a solution. It's just a matter of really taking a step back and looking at it objectively and getting strategic thought process involved so that I can come up with a solution. There's a lot of problems right now, right? You've talked about the hiring and the labor shortages and the wage wars, and there's always a solution. It's just a matter of how do we get out of the box and come up with the right one? So I really enjoy, I think that part of it is my favorite because I never feel defeated. There's always an answer. These are probably completely unprecedented times for you guys from the strategy standpoint and having to really kind of, you know, address a lot of the bigger issues with the hiring. And I'm sure with the shipping, you guys are probably having the same problems and the same challenges as everybody else. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because when we went into a pandemic, I think everybody thought that that was probably the strangest, worst time that we would see. And it really wasn't. Um, at the time it was, but coming out of the pandemic, then there were new problems in stranger times that none of us could have anticipated, you know, because you had, you know, unprecedented government assistance that kept people from wanting to get out and work. And you had schools and daycare shut down. So parents had a hard time getting out to work because they had to care for their children. And and then you had, you know, companies that were going under, but you had companies that were rising up. So you know, there was such a battle for the people that were out there working. There was a battle to fight for that, you know, the bodies to come in and, and work for your company. And so people had to get really, really strategic and, and they had to get aggressive in all their hiring and, and pay processes and things like that. So as bad as we thought the pandemic was, coming out of the pandemic is actually, you know, posed a list of new challenges. You know, this conversation is just with every distributor, every manufacturer that we talk to, it's just you know, things that you wouldn't think of that would be affected and they are and kind of how they're trying to overcome these challenges and all that has been absolutely crazy. And I was talking to John the other day, Zach, and I was saying, 
you know, John, here we are dealing in our industry with all this chlorine issue and everybody's stress and everybody kind of going crazy about that, that it's almost like we went into COVID and we went into shutdown and we thought that that was stressful, but it seems like this is even more stressful than having to go through that COVID and shutdown because now it's like the reality on the other side and kind of trying to get back to normal. It's absolutely crazy. And my question is, is, I mean, and sadly enough, like there are going to be a lot of businesses that fold and go under through this, but for the ones that make it to the other side, it's like, if we get back to some sort of norm, are we just going to be these like really well-oiled machines that are, you know, can adapt and switch and just handle it all because of everything that we've had to go through for the last year or year and a half now, I guess. Yeah, it's funny that you say that, Zach, because when I talk to the leaders in my organization and you've got, you know, a couple people that step back and complain about what's gone on and then other people and, you know, we try to help them realize it too. This has sort of been a little bit of a blessing in disguise. People have become incredibly agile during this time, and they've become very um, quick to react to things where before, especially in a corporation, you take time, you think things through, you put a pilot together, you test it, you try it. That has not been the situation in recent months or the last year. People have had to be very agile. They've had to be quick. They've had to get out there and try things. And when it doesn't work, you adjust and try something else. And so it's actually made people and I think companies a lot better and at what they're doing and get out of their comfort zone and do things differently. And I think it's, you know, it's weird to look at it that way, but a lot of times it has benefited people. And those are the companies that are surviving. They're, they're not getting hung up on the negative. They're figuring out, okay, this is what we're dealing with. Now, how do we deal with it? What else can we do? And it's funny that she's saying that, Zach, because as she's saying that, I'm thinking about you and all the things that you've had to go through and how you've had to change, how you've had to adapt. And then not only that, you've been the one saying, hey, you know, what's going to happen with this whole pandemic and the after the pandemic and all that is there's probably going to be a lot of the smaller companies that kind of go under and it's going to be more of seeing who ends up surviving to the other side. And it's those that are doing things and, and being proactive and kind of trying different things that are going to survive on the other side. And we're seeing that, you know, I'm seeing and I'm getting calls from people and stuff like that. And it's just kind of really interesting to see even some of the companies that build pools and service pools and they just kind of gave up on the service side and they're like, we just kind of can't handle this. We can't do this. We're done. And they fold and they just stick to, to the construction. So it's interesting to hear Leanne say that. And as she's saying that, I'm thinking about you and everything that you've kind of been through, you know, just in this last year. Yeah, for sure. And <clears throat> the one thing that keeps haunting me is I keep thinking back to that phone call uh, at the beginning of the year that said, you can get a pallet of tabs right now. Do you want one? And I said, no, I'll wait. And so I just keep thinking about that every day as this gets harder and harder. And I'm having to go drive around miles and miles and try to pick up a bucket of tabs here and there. So that is one lesson that I will take away from this uh, for whatever comes next. Guys, let's get started with today's podcast because... Interestingly enough, Zach, I've gotten tons of messages from the listeners that they loved part one. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't think that this topic was going to be as, as hot of a topic, but I got a whole bunch of messages with people going, we can't wait for part number two. Can you break down the steps that you guys talked about that you were going to 
discuss in the next podcast. So it's kind of interesting that this topic hiring, because you kind of think, okay, there's a lot of pool guys that are kind of independent pool guys that aren't hiring people that really are not that interested in it. But it was amazing to just kind of see or shocking to see how many people were actually saying, you know, we need to, you know, hire, we need to, you know, be able to, to learn those steps. So it, it's been interesting. You can definitely see why it's such a hot topic. And you know how much I've been just calling you and being like, we need more people. We just need more people. And it's, it's really tough right now. Just like we talked in the last episode, there are just so many things going on that are affecting our ability to hire. And it's like, just add it add it to the mix of everything, you know, what's next. And it's just been super challenging. So I can see why people are kind of gravitating towards this topic and wanting to find out more and really try to understand how they can improve their hiring process. Hey guys, for everybody listening, here's one of the things that we're going to do is with today's podcast, we have a document that we're going to be able to add to our resources page. So if anybody wants to get, whether it's the rate increase letter, the terms of service, the drain paperwork that we have so that customers can sign off on the waiver for that, you can find that on our platform. So if you go to poolnation.online, or even if you go to poolinvoice.com, up at the top of the website, you're going to find an orange button that says resources. And what you want to do is you want to click on that button and it's going to take you to a login page. If you've already registered, log in. If you haven't registered, just click on the register button. And what it's going to do is it's going to allow you to register for the resources page that we created for Pool Nation for you guys. And you guys can download all of those. And then this one is going to be included in there so that you can kind of have the three steps of the hiring process. You'll have some tips. You'll have everything that we talk about today. So if you haven't, go to the poolnation.online or poolinvoice.com, click on that register uh, resources button and register, and then you can download any of those and use those. Leanne, in the last podcast, we talked about the current labor conditions and how everybody is having a hard time finding employees, and especially those in retail, hospitality, and warehousing. And we talked about how important it is to have a hiring process and having a good hiring process can be an advantage over a company that does not have one. So can you start off by telling us how important it is to have a solid interview process? Yeah, I'll tell you, it's probably one of the most important steps that you have to have when you're, you know, ramping up your labor or making a labor shift from what you currently have. You know, it's funny because a lot of leaders look at it as they have to, you know, they're interviewing people to to make the best selection for their company. That applicant is also interviewing you, right? And they're judging you from the minute that they see your ad or the minute that they apply for a job, they're already judging you. And they're judging you on the way your ad is written or the person that answers the phone or your actual interview and the people that are conducting the interview. How do they look? How are they conducting themselves? How are they showcasing the company? So the interview process itself and all the steps included in the interview process are very, very vital because it takes seconds to make up your mind on a first impression, right? So you know that from, you know, if you're out at a restaurant and the server comes up to the table, you judge the server immediately by, you know, how they approach the table and how they address you of of whether or not you already make up your mind if you're going to get good service. So you want to make sure that you understand that when you're going through the interview process to get employees for your company, 
they're interviewing you from the very get-go. And you have to keep that in mind as you go through that it's a two-way street. So when it comes to interviewing, are there different interview types? There are. And, you know, I think each company has to determine which type for each situation or which role is going to better suit them. So for example, I think what most people are used to is kind of a one-on-one interview where you sit across the table from an applicant and you interview them in person. Um, There's also, especially during a pandemic, there's a lot of virtual or telephone interviews that happen um, just because, and sometimes you're you're doing that because someone's not local and they're going to be moving local. So there's other reasons why you would have a telephone or, you know, a virtual or video interview. And then some companies um, at some point in the interview process, whether it's initially or down the road, as you narrow down to your final applicants, we'll do a panel interview. So there might be key leaders in your company, whether it's the owner and the owners, you know, for the pool company, the owner's spouse or a key leader within the pool company, along with the owner that want to sit down and do a panel interview. And the purpose of doing a panel interview is so that you're all seeing and hearing the same information at one time, right? So you're hearing the questions that are being asked. You're seeing how they're seeing and hearing how they're being uh, answered. And so a panel interview is good because you get multiple opinions on one interview on one applicant at the same time. Those are some of the main ones. Zach, you, you still doing panel interviews? Well, we're going to start switching after we talked last time to doing that like two interview process where it kind of filters up but yeah the last we haven't had any more since then so but we will no longer be doing that i feel like it's just too intimidating for what we're hiring for it can be very intimidating so that's why you really want to look at what role are you looking for and you know whose opinion really matters so sometimes uh, if you have three different people that their opinion matters if they do three separate interviews with that applicant you can do a debrief afterwards and talk through your findings. But you want to have a structured process in the meantime. Who's going to ask what questions? Because the other thing you want to do is you don't all want to ask the same questions or similar questions. You want to have a plan going into it on who's going to ask what type of questions and what is it that you're actually looking for. Can we talk a little bit about each one of them and maybe take some key points or best practices for each one? Can we start with the telephone and then we can talk about the panel separately. And maybe you can kind of talk about each one of those for us and maybe some key points for each one of those. Sure. So if you start with a telephone interview, there's two types, probably several types, but normally you're going to see two types of phone interviews. Sometimes a phone interview is used initially just to do some really light screening of an applicant to find out some real basic information before you have them come all the way into the company and do an in-person interview. So sometimes you might have one person designated to do a a phone interview. And a lot of times that is just to kind of get through the basics to see if they're ready for the next step. But if you are interviewing somebody remotely, or if you only have the phone interview as one of your only options, then you would conduct a phone interview similar to the way you would an in-person interview. You would go through some of the same steps of letting the applicant know that this is, you know, what your process is going to be. And then you get through that process and, you know, we can talk through the steps of actually, you know, preparing and conducting an interview, but a phone interview would be held very similar manner. What would the panel or committee type interview consist of? So usually, you know, a 
panel or committee is obviously more than one person from the company. So two or more people are from the company. And normally you only want to have those people that are decision makers as part of that panel interview, because you want to make sure that their opinion really matters. And so the panel interview could be, again, like I said before, either the owner, key leaders, the hiring manager, the person that this role will report directly to is going to be important. And those people, again, you go into that with a plan, who's going to ask what kind of questions and what is it that you're looking for. And again, similar to any other type of phone interview or in-person interview, you're going to let the applicant know what to expect. So before they come in for the interview, you want to let them know that they're going to be participating in a panel interview and how many people are going to be part of that panel. Because Zach, to what you said before, it's a little intimidating, right? To have them walk into a room with multiple people. It's almost like a firing squad kind of feel. So you want to make sure that the applicant is is ready for that experience, that they're going to come into more than a room with more than one person and that each person is going to be asking a series of questions. And at the end of the interview, they'll have an opportunity to ask questions as well. So I think setting that up will really ensure the you know successful nature of the completion of the interview if you set it up properly. Let's talk about the one that we're going to be using here at the Pool Boys, and that is the individual one-on-one interview. So again, what you want to do is you want to make sure that you have best practices in mind. You want to make sure that every candidate is comfortable and they're at ease. Some of that starts at the time that you're going to ask them to come in for the interview. You're going to say, you know, I'd like you to come in at this time. We'll sit in our conference room. We'll have a one-on-one interview or a panel interview, you know, whichever type you're going to use at that time. And you want to make sure that you're, you know, exuding confidence, confidence in, you know, the time that they're going to come in and and meet with you, confidence in your company. Um, You're going to maintain eye contact. A lot of times what I do with applicants is I let them know ahead of time. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Um, A lot of these questions will be thought-provoking questions. So please take your time to think about your answer. Silence is okay. And the reason that I say that is because, you know, most people are uncomfortable with silence, but you want your applicant to think through their answer. So let them know. I'm going to ask you some thought-provoking questions. I want you to take the time to think through your answer and silence is okay. Because people think they just need to speak to speak to fill the air with words. And so, you know, a lot of having a successful interview is letting them know what to expect, letting them know you're going to have thought-provoking questions as part of that. You know, be flexible. So asking, you know, probing questions. If they respond in a vague answer, you know, for example, if you give them, a, you know, a question like, tell me about a time when you had to deal with a difficult customer that wasn't happy with the service, what was that situation and how did you handle it? If they say, oh, yeah, we always deal with difficult customers. You know, we just try to make sure that we give them what they want. Okay, so now you need to ask something that's a little bit more probing because you got a very vague answer from that applicant. You need to know a specific situation where they dealt with a specific angry customer. What was that situation? So then you need to get a little bit more detailed and say, okay, can you give me a, a specific situation? Think back to a time. When you had an angry customer, can you give me a specific time and give me the details of that situation? What happened? What did the customer say? What made them angry? What did you do to make them happy? That's making them kind of narrow that down to the specific, because 
it's human nature to be vague about things. Oh yeah, sure. We always have, you know, angry customers. You want to make sure that they get really specific and you have to get probing with those questions and you have to get comfortable with doing that. You also want to strive for what we call the 80-20 talk time. The candidate really should be doing 80% of the talking. Sometimes you'll have candidates that'll do 95% of the talking. And, you know, some of the feedback coming out is, oh my gosh, they wouldn't shut up. They just talked and talked and talked. I couldn't get a question in. But 80-20 is really what you're shooting for. You want a candidate that's going to listen to the question and then they're going to give you the details and the background and the answer that you're looking for. So that's kind of what you look for in those types of situations. Zach and I have talked about that 80-20 in, in the past. And sometimes when we're talking, Leanne, he just turns to me and he goes, Edgar, 80-20, 80-20, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, full disclosure, when we first started our interview process, I literally did... of the talking. And I don't know where I came up with this idea that I was going to sell them on the industry and sell them on the pool boys and sell them on the dream. And then say, does that sound like something you want to be a part of? And they're like, yeah, great. And it's like, okay, awesome. But we're definitely changing, changing it up now. So basically, you you gave them all the answers to the questions is what you did, is what you're saying, right? So yeah. You're like, come on board. You know, and, and we see that a lot because, you know, we're, we want to hire good people. And so we set, you know, setting them up for success, letting them know what to expect in the interview is one thing, but giving them all the answers ahead of time is another. Because when you're giving them the answer, you're at the end, you think you're getting what you want because they're in agreement. Yes, I want to be a part of the pool boys. That's going to be awesome. But that's not really what you're getting. You're getting somebody that's telling you what you want to hear, right? And so it really is difficult to do an effective interview, ask performance-based questions, getting, you know, really knowing how to get performance-based answers. Because when you ask the performance-based questions, which, you know, unfortunately, again, I'm, I'm, you know, in the industry for 30 plus years, and I've watched this method change over time. And it really has gotten to the point where performance-based questions are key because people's past performance is a future of their predictive performance. So it will tell you what they're going to do in the future. So if they disregarded an angry customer in the past and that's the situation they give you, that tells you a lot. It tells you that they did not handle that customer well, and that's probably the way they're going to handle them again in the future, right? Or if they had attendance issues in the past. If you say, you know, tell me about a time when you struggled to get to work on time. Why did you struggle to get to work on time? And how did you, you know, what did you do about that? If they say, well, you know, they, they had a starting too early. And so I was usually late or I was late because, you know, I took this freeway and the freeway was, you know, always jammed up. That's telling you that they never accommodated for the freeway. They never made the adjustments that they needed to make to arrive on time. And they'll continue to do that in your company because their past performance is a very good prediction of their future performance. I was just going to sit here and go, dang, Zach, aren't you thinking of like all these questions that we should be asking? Yeah. And I'm actually taking notes right now. (laughs) (laughs) I can give you some insight, some good questions that you can ask, but, but the key is looking for the the right answers too, right? Again, just, um, you know, when you've got somebody that says, gosh, you know, I, I just don't have an answer for that. Well, you know, your, your response can be, you know what? That's okay. Take a few more minutes, give it some thought. Add some more silence in there. Give them time to think through an answer. They just freaked out even more. (laughs) Well, and I think this is one of those things that we've talked about, you know, 
in the beginning when it's just you, yes, obviously you have to be that person. But as you grow and you start to bring more people onto your team, one thing I realize about me is I'm not the best for this. Like I'm not the best person to probe and dig and ask those strategic questions. I'm always the one that, you know, two hours later, I'm like, oh, I should have asked that question. So the way that we're trying to build it now, I'm trying to kind of find the people that have those strengths and start delegating that task to them to be able to make sure that we're getting the best questions asked. So what I'll say is that you actually are the right person for that because it's your company and you have the most vested. And good interviewing skills is like a muscle that you just have to build. And pretty soon it becomes second nature. Um, it's just like, you know, nobody likes to, to fire people either, right? If you ever find somebody that says, oh my God, I love that part of my job. Well, I doubt they're going to say that. But you do have people that get good at it. And they get good at it because they can, they know, they've, they've learned how to flex that muscle and they've learned how to exercise it and use it appropriately. And, you know, terminating somebody is never fun and it's never the best part of your job. But if you can do it with, you know, dignity and respect, then it becomes an easier thing. So the muscle gets better. Same thing happens with interviewing. And part of what, you know, you need to do as an owner of a business is put a plan in place, you know, craft questions that are going to get you the information that you need, put a plan in place on who's going to ask what questions, what are good, better, and best answers for those questions. And that helps you sort of disseminate between the good applicant and, you know, a lesser appropriate applicant. And pretty soon you find that you get really good at it, Zach. So right now it may feel like an uncomfortable water for you, but the more you flex the muscle, the better, and the more you use it, the better you get at it. And it becomes second nature. Yeah. I have a lot of, a lot of practice on that front. (laughs) It's interesting because interviewing is such an important process into the success of any company. But I think it's one of those, like Leanne is saying, they don't, they don't work on that muscle and they, I think they just kind of go, Oh, we'll deal with it later. We'll deal with it later, but it's uncharted territories and people don't actually try to go find where they can get better at interviewing and, you know, strengthening those skills. And then what ends up happening is they just end in this constant cycle of just these bad hires. Right. And it's just, they're not looking for the right things. So, and it's interesting because with you know, probing and asking behavioral questions, which Leanne, I'm going to ask you about next. It's interesting because sometimes you ask some of these candidates questions and it's interesting the responses that you get. Like you'll get where they'll tell you, oh, I told that customer off and I flipped them off and I told them to go to hell. And you're just kind of sitting there going, oh my God, I can't believe that they're saying that. But it's interesting that you ask the questions and some people will just kind of just spill it all out there. And you're like, man, you just screwed up, right? But it really is interesting. So Leanne, let me ask you, you know, you talked a little bit about that behavioral. What's the purpose, the main purpose of the behavioral interview process part? Well, behavior interviewing is really asking about past situations, their behavior in situations. And it's the purpose of it is to stay away from hypotheticals. If you're asking any question, if it, you know, if you ask yourself, is this a fact-based question or is it a hypothetical? And the difference is a hypothetical is going to be, tell me how you would react if you had an angry customer or how would you react if you showed up and a pool was green versus 
tell me about a time when you dealt with an angry customer. What was the situation and how did you deal with it? Or tell me about a time when you showed up from one day to the next, the pool was great and the next day it was green. What did you do to troubleshoot that and how did you solve the problem? That's behavior-based versus what would you do if you showed up and the pool was green? So those are hypotheticals. So what would, when you got the word would in there, you pretty much know that that's pretty hypothetical. Um, Most behavior-based questions will start off with, tell me about a time or give me a situation when you've done this. Give me a situation when you face that. Tell me about a policy you didn't agree with. You know, those are actual questions about something that they've actually experienced and you you're looking for the detail in what they experienced and how they dealt with it. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. I have a further question on that because you can ask those fact-based questions, but I believe there's people out there that can kind of manipulate their way through some of that. Is there any other telltale signs when you're asking those questions or anything like right off the bat you can watch for? to kind of indicate that maybe they're not being honest about their answer? Well, short of tacking them up to a lie detector, probably not. Um, Just because, (laughs) just because if you ask them, you know, tell me about a time when you struggled to get to work on time and they say, gosh, that never happened to me. There's not a lot more you can do with the exception of maybe digging in a little bit deeper. Like, you know, have you ever had a position where you had to arrive particularly early? Was, you know, tell me about a time when you struggled with that. Or did you ever have a time when you had a schedule that you, you know, didn't agree with because it interfered with something that you had going on in your personal life? Tell me about that. How did you handle that? So a lot of times it's getting, digging down a little bit deeper to get them get a little bit more fact-based is the best you can do. You can't stop people from, from being untruthful. But if you're following a performance-based interview guideline, nine times out of 10, they are thinking back into their head and they are thinking about situations that they faced in the past. And you can watch body language, especially if you're you know, in, in person or on video, because most people that are thinking, remember they're looking up, it's because they're looking into their brain. They're trying to remember a situation. And if you look at the body language and they're looking up or they're looking around and they're thinking, gosh, what was that situation? What, what situation can I, can I think of right now? Watch that body language. Now, if, they, if you ask a question, they're like, oh, yeah, this is you know, my stock answer for that one or my stock answer for this one. Chances are they don't have a stock answer. They have to think through it. And you'll see the body language when they're thinking through it. Perfect. That gives me a lot more to think about. I'm going to end up having 200 questions on my... Uh interview process uh feel bad for the next person so probably not a good idea to have 200 let's questions let's drill down a little bit deeper and let's drill down a little bit deeper <laughs> yeah zach's gonna go let's keep yeah. it let's keep it up yeah. 50 questions make, we'll make sure you give them if as you're drilling down make sure you give them time to come up let's, for let's air. break for lunch and then we'll come back to this <laughs> so we might we might have to have some uh, separate pool boy yeah. um, training for, for you guys, Zach. Absolutely. We're going to need it. So, Leanne, I wanted to ask, what are some of the problems with hiring without having a structure or a plan in place? So the, the list for the problems could go on forever. I think some of the things that come to mind is, first of all, going back to what I originally said, your applicant's going to see that you're not prepared if you don't have a plan. So that's going to be their first impression of you and your company that you're not prepared and you weren't ready for them. And by the way, 
you must not want them bad enough to take the time to create a plan. So you don't want to give that impression. And, you know, when I have my HR hat on, which is really all the time, one of the other things is you want to make sure that you have formulated questions because you want to make sure that you and everybody in your company is asking legal questions, right? You don't want anybody to go off the handle and say, gosh, you know, your, your accent's really interesting. Where are you from? Because then you could get a discrimination for, you know, national origin. Or, you know, I see here that you've been in the business, you know, blah, blah years. Were you 20 when you started? Because now you're going to get into some age discrimination. So you want to make sure that you are, you know, looking at all of the, you know, protected stages of employment and that you're not violating any of those. If you don't have a plan in place, violating those can be very, very easy. And obviously that's something that no company wants to face. You don't want any type of legal issue. And by the way, most of those times, legal issues aren't intentional, but it's the perception that the applicant's getting, especially if they don't get the job. So you discriminated against me because you knew my national origin. You asked me where I'm from. And that may not at all be the reason you didn't hire them. So you want to make sure that you have a plan in place so you you know don't have any type of legal issues. The other thing is that you want to make sure that you're setting your applicant up for success, meaning not telling them the answers, but you're setting them up for success because you're letting them know what to expect, right? You're letting them know, we're going to go through a series of questions and I'm going to ask you a lot of thought-provoking questions and I want you to take the time that you need to you know, get come up with your answers. After I ask you a series of questions, at the end of the interview, I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask me questions. I want you to be very familiar with our company and, you know, the terms of, you know, that we're looking for, whatever that looks like. And the reason that you're going to let them know that you, why you're going to let them ask questions at the end of the interview is because you want to control the interview. You don't want the applicant, every time you ask a question, you don't want the applicant coming back and asking you one or three or four questions, right? You're going to say, I'm going to ask you a series of thought-provoking questions. And at the end of the interview, I'm going to give you time to ask us any questions that you may have. That way they understand the process. You're also going to set them up by, by having this structure, by letting them know what to expect next. Um, you know, we're going to interview a series of, of applicants. And once that's completed, we'll be getting back with the applicants within you know, whatever time frame that is. You should expect to hear back with a, from us within the, within the week or within two weeks or whatever that time frame. In this job market, I wouldn't let that go on very long at all. So if you can get back to the applicants as soon as possible in this job market, the better off you are. But letting them know when they're going to hear from you is important so that they don't feel like, gosh, it's already been a day. I should look for another role or I should accept this other role that, that I have you know, pending. I really wanted to work for the pool boys, but I haven't heard from them and I don't know when I'm going to, so I'm going to accept this other role. So really letting them know when you have a plan in place letting that applicant know the structure of that plan is important for a lot of different reasons. I think that's a key one right there, right, Zach, that you don't kind of think about. But in this market condition, it's very crucial to really kind of get back to people right away because people are just, there's so many other opportunities that they're just going to be looking for the next thing right away. Yeah, for sure. And when you look at, you know, preparing for an interview, again, because, you know, I kind of went through some of the, the hazards of not being prepared, you want to make sure that you're reviewing the applicant's information, whether they've submitted a resume or you have an online application or a hard copy application they filled out. You want to make sure you read that well in advance of the interview. That's where you're going to be able to sit back and 
design what your question should be. And Zach, you might take your 100 questions and say, for this interview, I'm going to use these 10, right? Because of the person's application or the person's resume. These are the questions I'm going to ask this person. So you want to do that. You want to identify um, as you're looking through their resume and application before the interview. And I'm going to keep emphasizing, this is what you're doing before the interview. You can't do this during the interview because then your plan will fall apart because you're not prepared. So before the interview, when you're looking at the application or the resume, identify red flag items. And by red flags, I'm talking about unexplained gaps in employment. One of the questions you're going to ask them is, I see that you left this company in January, but you started this company in June. Can you talk to me about the gap in employment and what were you doing doing during that time, right? Ask them, why did they have a gap in employment? It could be a lot of things. It could be they were injured or they were on a worker's comp injury or they had um, a family matter that they had to take care of or they did have a job during that time, but they didn't put it on the resume. And here's why, because it wasn't applicable or whatever. But that way um, you identify that gap of employment before you interview them so that you can ask them about it. You want to understand any questionable information, right? Like if they went from one industry to another, why did they switch from one industry to another? You want to understand different patterns on their application of their resume. You know, we've had people that for every single reason for leaving, they, they left to go back to their country. Maybe they, they lived in another country and they went back for family matters. But every time they left a business, it was because of that. So that's a pattern. Or every time they left, they left for more money. So that's a pattern. Or every time they left, they had a spat with their supervisor. That's a pattern. So you want to watch for those patterns and you want to have your, you know, you want to identify that as a red flag. You want to review the position that you're hiring them for and make sure that their um, application or resume fits that position. And if there's anything on there that doesn't fit, you want to call that out and really identify that with whoever's going to be conducting the interview as well. And then you want to coordinate with other people that are conducting the interview. Like I said before, you definitely don't want to have three separate interviews and everybody's asking similar or same questions. So, you know, Zach, you might say, gosh, I'm going to ask all of the questions about their work history. Um, Then you're going to have somebody that's going to ask questions about maybe their chemical knowledge or their knowledge of, you know, water chemistry. And then you're going to have somebody else ask questions about customer service and their customer service skills. So you could, you know, divide that up equally, or you can say, here's the questions I'm going to ask. Here's the questions you're going to ask. And it's kind of all over the board. What you don't want is an applicant to go into three different interviews and get asked the same questions. Cause then they're like, you all aren't planned. You're not prepared for this. And I can't give you three different answers for the same question in three different people. So they feel like you're, you're wasting their time because you're asking them the same thing. So preparing for that interview is going to be key. I have a question. Is there in the interview process, is there room for fluff or is there a time that like, you know, there's a lot of different things out there. And I was listening to something the other day that's like higher around your core values. And I I get that like this is hard work and all that. But like, is there a time to try to motivate an individual or in your interview? Is it purely just we go through the steps, we're analyzing you. See ya. We'll let you know. So I would say, I think the first thing is go through the steps. Don't sound robotic, but go through the steps, get the questions out that you want to. And a lot of times you can design your questions around your core values, right? So you can get those in there. 
at the end, when you're asking them, hey, is there any questions that we can ask answer for you? And a lot of times we're like, nah, you know, or what holidays do you have? Or what's the starting pay? Like sometimes that's a ding. It just depends on, on what you're looking for. But that you could at the end say, you know, here's some things that we look for as a company. I honestly think that's better suited for once you've made your selection, that's part of your onboarding, your new hire process, right? So when you bring them on, that's when you say, here's our core values. Here's what's important to us. Here's how we manage our customers. You know, these are things that, that we treasure as a company. That's more reserved for the hiring process. Once you've got them selected, you know, you put them through new hire orientation, you talk about training, you talk about safety, you talk about your core values, you talk about your benefits, your, you know, holidays, blah, blah, blah. That's really where that stuff normally would come into play. You're still, I think, in the mindset of you really want to sell them on coming to work for you. And I get it. You can do that by giving them a good experience, but you don't want to get put all your cards out there for every applicant because you're not going to hire every applicant. You really want to save that good stuff for the hiring, for the, you know, new hire orientation and the onboarding. It's all in the probing. I just have to get even more clever with the questions. Guys, let's take a quick word from our sponsors. And when we come back, Leanne, we want to go through those steps. And I know we've kind of already started to talk about how to prepare for that interview. But when we come back, we'll kind of go into all three steps and we'll continue. The SPPA is dedicated to the niche general liability insurance needs of pool and spa professionals. As industry leaders, we'll fight for you, protect you, and be there for you. We provide extraordinary service before and after the membership and insurance is in effect. Insured members of the program get the best customer support and have peace of mind that their alliance is their voice and always fighting for their program and insurance needs. We proudly insure thousands of pool and spa professionals across the United States. With over 30 years encompassing the pool and spa industry, we know the needs of pool and spa professionals. Through the SPPA program, there are three tailored and customized general liability insurance options to pick from. For more information on our programs and insurance options, visit our site at www.thesppa.com. The sound of you continually pitching pool care poles into the trash. The sound of you using an Ultimate Pool Tools carbon fiber pool care pole for years to come. Go to ultimatepooltools.com or Instagram at ultimatepooltools. Do you know the actual cost of the pool service you provide or the financial health of your pool business? If you don't, it can put you out of business. Pool Nation has created a business training that focuses on the financial side of your business. What we've done, guys, is we've put a training class together that focuses on five metrics that we've created. The goal is you do it, and by the time that you're done with the class, you have all those numbers, you have all that data. It is the only course that as you enter your data into our exclusive software, it will tell you how much money you are making or losing. It's that simple. We talk about the metrics, we talk about insurance, what to look for. We talk about billing software. By the time you are done with the training, you will know your exact cost to service a pool, fixed cost of cleaning, your average profit per pool, your average monthly rate, 
repair profits and profit percentage, and how much money you are actually making. And we have had people that have taken the class and had some cash flow issues, and they've made some adjustments with their billing software, and that's kind of solved that issue. During the training utilizing our software, you will create your business profit and loss. Once you create your P&L, we will cover the fundamentals of the P&L and how important it is to the success of your business. For more information and the next training dates, visit www.poolnation.online. It's not about how much money you make. It's about how much money you get to keep. For more training dates, go to www.poolnation.online. So guys, welcome back to the Pool Nation podcast. We're talking to Leanne DeJesus. We're talking about the hiring process and we'll continue our conversation. So Leanne, one of the things that we want to do is kind of help our listeners go through this three steps of the hiring process. And, you know, we've already started talking a little bit about, you know, preparing for the interview process. What would be, you know, step number two in that interview process? So that's the actual conducting the interview. So once you've done your preparation, you've got the resume or the application, you've, you know, looked for red flags, you've looked for gaps in employment, you've looked for questionable information, you've kind of gone through, you know, your interview questions, you know what your primary interview questions are going to be, what are some alternate questions, you're going to coordinate with the other people. That's all part of the preparation. That's what you do before that applicant ever gets in front of you. Step two is conduct the interview. So to conduct the interview, the steps that you want to follow in that phase is you want to be on time and stay on schedule. Again, I can't emphasize that enough, but these applicants are reviewing you as well, right? They're judging you. So if you say, I'm going to interview, you know, we want to interview you two o'clock on Tuesday, you need to be early for that so that you're ready there at two o'clock when they show up on Tuesday, right? You don't want to stroll in a few minutes late. Oh my gosh, sorry, got caught up on another call or I had a difficult customer or, you know, I had to, you know, help one of my guys out back. You don't want to do that. You want to be there and ready at two o'clock on Tuesday or whatever time that you've scheduled because your applicant needs to understand that you value their time and that you value this process and it's very important to you. So be on time for the and stay on schedule for the interview. You want to welcome your candidate too, right? You know, whether it's, you know, hey, Edgar, you know, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to meet with me. I'm, I was looking forward to meeting you with, with, you know, meeting, looking forward to meeting you in person. Welcome them, right? Sometimes it's a little bit of small talk. Did you have any trouble finding us? Blah, 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 you know, whatever. So just kind of putting that, that applicant at ease. Then you're going to introduce yourself, you know, you know, I'm, I'm Zach and I'm the owner of the pool boys. And, you know, so you introduce yourself and what your role is with the company. You could have, you know, somebody in your company that is in charge of doing the hiring, whether that's your business manager or whatever. So they, you, you want to make sure that they're introducing themselves and explaining then what the process is going to be. And this goes back to what I said, you know, um, earlier, you know, I'm, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk for however long your your interview is. It depends on the role that you're hiring for. So you could let them know to expect a 30-minute interview or 45 minutes or an hour. So I'm going to ask you, so you're letting them know ahead of time what to expect. So you're going to say, so I'm going to ask you a series of thought-provoking questions. You know, I'd like you to take the time to think through your answers. Silence is okay. Just take your time. Once we get through our questions, I'm going to give you a few minutes to ask, ask any questions that you may have of me. 
or if you're doing a panel, obviously any questions you may have of us. Um, and then we'll let you know what to expect, you know, from a follow-up. We expect to get back with our, our applicants within a week or whatever. So you'll let them know that at the end. But staying as you're conducting that interview, you want to make sure that you're, you know, setting up the process appropriately. Then you want to use your open-ended performance-based questions. And so in your preparation phase, you've determined what questions you're going to ask, right? So you've already got that, but you're going to stay with those open-ended performance-based questions. And by open-ended, it's anything that's not a yes or no answer. So you want to say, you know, tell me about a time or how do you feel about that? It's questions that they have to actually give an answer to that they can't use yes or no as an answer. That's your open-ended question. And then you also want to make sure that you're using active listening skills during this process of conducting the interview. And active listening skills, you want to you know, listen for the situation. So you've asked them to tell you about a time or tell you about a situation or tell you about a policy and procedure, and you need to listen. Are you getting that actual situation or are they breezing over it and saying, Oh yeah, we always have difficult customers. We just, you know, do what we can to make them happy, right? That's not giving you the situation. So you have to have really active listening skills. You want to make sure that you're staying on the task. You know, what was the challenge and the expectations that you gave that applicant? And are are they staying on task with that? And then you want to make sure that when you say, how did you handle that situation or how did you handle that problem, that they're actually giving you the task that they did to achieve the results. So whether that's handling a difficult customer, cleaning up a green pool, whatever that is, you want to make sure that you're actually getting the task or, or their achievement, how they achieved that, and what were the outcomes. Even if you're asking them about, what if you're hiring a, a finance person, somebody to manage your books, and you're talking to them about you know their the profit and loss and how did they manage the profit and loss and where did they, you know, how did they come up with savings? You want specific numbers. You want to make sure that you're hearing, you're listening actively for the answer. And when you don't have the answer, you go back and you probe and get more detailed in the question. You want to make sure that all of the answers or all of the questions that you're asking are very clear and they're relevant to the role that you're asking, right? And that you're getting into the probing questions if that need be. Also, during the conducting the interview phase, you want to make sure that you're taking effective notes. So you know what questions you're going to ask. You've got those hopefully printed up. And as they're answering them, you can, you know, be writing down notes. When you're letting the applicant know what to prepare for the or what to expect during the interview, you can also let them know, I'm going to ask you a lot of thought-provoking questions, and I'm going to be taking notes so that I can capture your responses. So that then the applicant's not sitting there going, gosh, what is he jotting down? Why is he scribbling over there? You know, what is going on? So if you let them know ahead of time that you're going to be taking notes, you should be taking notes. That way, if you do ever get questioned on an interview or a response, you know what you asked and you know roughly what the answer was. You don't need to know word for word, but you need to know roughly what the answer is. And you're going to know that because you took notes. And then you're going to, at the end of that, you're going to close the interview. You're going to say things like, you know, Edgar, it was a pleasure to meet with you. I'm now going to take a few minutes and let you ask me any questions that you may have. And if that applicant asks questions, then you go ahead and answer them. If they don't ask any questions, you're going to close the interview by saying, okay, I'm going to close the interview now. You know, we're going to assess all of our applicants and we'll be able to get back to you within X amount of time. 
on whether or not that, you know, you've gotten the role. And then that pretty much closes the interview. You thank them for coming, shake their hand nicely and, and show them out. So Zach, I don't know about you, but I, I probably have about seven pages of notes that I'm working on. How far are you? <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> I keep checking to make sure I'm muted so you don't hear my pen scratching across the paper. (laughs) That's great. So Leanne, let me ask you this. So we talk about step number one, and that is obviously preparing for the interview. We talk about step number two, which is conducting the interview. Now we go into step number three, and that is evaluate the candidate. And I think this is a crucial step that is probably not done that often. So Can you talk about that step and the things that people should be doing? Yeah, and I think this step has become harder and harder with the labor market being as tight as it is. So a lot of companies are making exceptions where they wouldn't normally make an exception. So it's very important that you evaluate your candidate. Review your notes. Go through and look at the questions that you asked. Review the notes that you took. If you had other people conduct the interview, you want to compare the responses with what responses those other interviewers had as well, right? You want to say, hey, I asked this question and I got this response. It was a little concerning. You could have somebody else say, you know, I asked something similar and I wasn't near as concerned and here's why, here's what they said. So you guys are going to sit there and compare candidate responses to the behaviors that are described in the evaluation of your candidate. You want to really look through and maybe even highlight some answers that you were a little concerned with. How many are there? Are there a lot? Is there only one? And is it a big deal? You want to discuss the rating and discrepancies with other interviewers. You really want to get their opinion on what they saw or how the person reacted during the interview. And then you want to sort of, and we call it a debrief, um, and debrief on that and sort of talk through, you know, if are you hiring three candidates and you interview 10 people? Who are your top three? And are they the, would you hire those top three? And if there's one role that you're hiring for, you know, let's talk through those candidates and see which is the best candidate and kind of talk through some of the experiences that each person had. And you're really accurately evaluating those candidates. And I think now with, again, the labor pool being as tight as it is, people are willing to make exceptions and they're, well, you know, I don't like this answer and I don't like that answer. And I was concerned with their customer service skills and I'm concerned with you know, their ability to show up on time. And I'm concerned with the job hopping, but you know, I think I'm going to hire them anyway. I can tell you right now that it's a very expensive to turn over your workforce. So if you make that decision to make exceptions and hire somebody that you normally wouldn't hire, you know, I would say, be aware that you are going to probably have higher turnover rates because they'll end up leaving for probably some of the same reasons they left their previous companies, whether it's attendance or poor performance. So really be selective in how you're, you know, selecting your candidates. I think a lot of times people get sucked into, they just want to have a warm body in there. They've got to have somebody doing some of the work, but it is very costly to turn over. You know, you've got added customer service issues when you turn people over. You've got added training uh, expenses when you turn people over, added unemployment expenses. There's a lot that goes into turnover. So really evaluate if this person's worth hiring. And, you know, what's the likelihood of them turning over? Because you want to make sure that you're making the right decision for your company. You also want to make sure you're making the most cost-effective decision too. So it's worth looking at. So that evaluation period in step three is, is critical. 
That's another great point, Zach, that people don't talk about. And that is really the the true cost of turnover. It's like you get somebody in, you onboard them, you're spending all this time, you're spending all this effort only for them to last three months. And then you got to flip them over and start all over again and kind of go through that that process. And I think a lot of people don't talk about that. And, and it's hard to kind of put a dollar value to it, but it's huge. Well, the other part of it that a lot of people overlook is what it does to your customer. I mean, that's a piece that they're not factoring in as well, because our customers like having their technician. They get to know their name. They get to understand their animals, their property, their gate codes, and everything like that. And so not only is it just the time and money cost to the company you know, in general, but then what's it costing your customer? What's it doing to your customer service on that end of things? And, you know, there's another aspect that I think a lot of companies underestimate is the impact it's having on your existing workforce. So here's, you know, we see this a lot where we might make a bad hire. And it's funny how much your existing workforce knows that that's a bad hire before they do bad things. They can see that this person's not going to work out. And then when they don't work out, everybody's like, who was surprised by that? We all saw that one coming, right? That That one was doomed from the beginning. It affects your credibility as a, as a manager or an owner because everybody knew that was a bad hire. You knew it was a bad hire, but you took a risk and did it anyway. So it does affect your existing workforce. It does affect your customers, and it definitely affects your bottom line. The basis turnover expense, the very lowest level of turnover expense, and I'm talking lowest level, for each person is roughly about $6,400. So if you're turning over a few of those at the lowest level, um, you've got some that you could rack up into the multiple thousands of dollars, but your your lowest level turnover expense is about $6,400. When you factor in how much it costs to train, onboard, you know, the unemployment insurance, all of the aspects that come into that, at the very minimum, you're spending $6,400 every time you turn somebody over. That's insane. Did you think did you think about that, Zach? Did you think that, that no. was sixty four hundred bucks? Ouch. Ouch. All yeah. I can say right now. That's huge. It is. It is. So, you know, really caution yourself against that whole warm body syndrome of just get somebody I gotta get somebody in there. i I could wish I had a dollar for every time I had a leader say, I just need a body. I just need a body. And my response is you don't need that body. Let's find the right body. <laughs> So <laughs> that's base. That's base cost. I mean, that's base. That's where it starts. It could cost you your company ultimately. So now think about careful. it. If you if you're not looking at your red flags, right? So as you're preparing for the interview and you need to look for red flags, you know, gaps in employment, things like that. The reason for that is is you could be hiring somebody that you know has cost other companies a lot of money. And if you're not asking those probing questions and getting to the bottom of it, you could be that next company. And, you know, it's not to terrify anybody because most of the people that you hire, hopefully, are going to be a good fit for your company. Uh, A lot of people out there have had huge successes with hiring, but I'm sure everybody out there has a horror story too, right? Where they've made a bad hire. I've made a bad hire. I've, you know, and and then it makes you camp, it makes you very camera shy about, about your next one. You're very gun shy about, oh my gosh, I made a bad hire. Now I don't want to hire anybody. I'm terrified. I'm going to do that again just have to go back to the basics and follow the steps and make sure that you're asking the right questions and listening for the right answers. That's the key. Guys, let's do this. Let's take a word from our sponsors. And when we come back, Zach 
I want to get your final thoughts. The Hyper Pull from Ultimate Pool Tools is a pool care pole designed by pool professionals for pool professionals, featuring precision crafted carbon fiber and stainless steel construction. Go to ultimatepooltools.com or Instagram at Ultimate Pool Tools. Pool pros have specific needs when it comes to general liability insurance. The SPPA program has you covered. With three tailored and customizable general liability options, SPPA makes it easy for pool pros to feel secure. Find out more and get covered at the SPPA.com. Did you know that one of the main reasons why small businesses fail is because owners are less in tune with how much revenue is generated by sales of product or services and the cost to provide this product or service? This leads to money shortfalls that can quickly put a small business out of operation. Do you know the actual cost of the pool service you provide or the financial health of your pool business? If you don't, it can put you out of business. Pool Nation has created a business training that focuses on the financial side of your business. It is the only course that as you enter your data into our exclusive software, it will tell you how much money you are making or losing. It's that simple. By the time you are done with the training, you will know your exact cost to service a pool, fixed cost of cleaning, your average profit per pool, your average monthly rate, repair profits and profit percentage, and how much money you are actually making. During the training utilizing our software, you will create your business profit and loss. Once you create your P&L, we will cover the fundamentals of the P&L and how important it is to the success of your business. For more information and the next training dates, visit www.poolnation.online. It's not about how much money you make. It's about how much money you get to keep. For more training dates, go to www.poolnation.online. Welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with Leanne talking about interviewing, doing a deep dive into the interviewing process. Zach, a lot of notes on this side. I don't know if your notepad is going to be as full as mine, but maybe we'll have to trade some some papers here so that we can get all these all these notes together. Leanne, before we close the podcast, what I'd like for you to do, and I know we've kind of gone into a lot of detail on some of them and uh, with regards to the interviewing process. But what I'd like to do to finish the podcast is maybe you could just kind of give us some quick bullet points for our listeners with regards to tips on the welcome and the introduction part. I think for the welcome and introduction part, you want to make sure that you put the candidate at ease. Make sure that they're very comfortable. Establish a rapport. This is kind of a good time for small chit chat. You're going to describe, again, what to expect during the interview. Explain that you're going to be using an interview guide, asking questions about their past experience, and you're going to be taking notes. And then you also want them, you want to ask them to, you know, think carefully through their answers. Um, You want thoughtful responses, so you're okay if they need to take some time to think through it. I think that kind of summarizes your welcome and introduction phase that you need to go through to, to kind of really set that interview up for success. What about closing an interview? Do you have any tips on? How to successfully close an interview? Make sure, again, at the beginning, you're, ask, you're going to let them know that you're going to give them time at the end to ask questions. So as you're closing an interview, you can ask the candidate if they have any questions for you. 
Answer the questions honestly. You want to make sure that you're being very transparent with them. Obviously, not giving away any trade secrets, but answering those questions very honestly. You're going to explain next steps, for example, when they can expect to hear back. Um, And then you want to thank the candidate because they took the time to come and meet with you. And you want to make sure that you, you know, thank them and, you know, help show them out or whatever your exit's going to be. But it's very important that the end of that process is just as welcoming as the beginning. Those are all some great points. Zach, let me get your final thoughts. It amazes me how much truly goes into the whole hiring process and the whole human resources department as a whole. You know, and we've improved our hiring processes over the last few years greatly, um, but we still have a bunch of room to improve. And that actually excites me because I feel like we're doing a fairly decent job right now. We're getting good people through the door. We're getting people who want to be here and we're able to kind of weed out some of the bad apples. So learning all this stuff just gives me a feeling that, you know, down the line, we're going to be pumping in these really awesome candidates that really buy into the business and really want to be here for the long run. I am in complete you know, agreement with you, and that is that there's so much that needs to be a focus from the human resources side. And I, I think, I'm not going to say all the companies, but I think a lot of companies just, A, either don't have the experience, don't have the resources to be able to go and learn all this information. Then you have other companies that just kind of don't see the value of the human resources side. And, you know, those are the companies that I think that you see that don't do that well or that they do get a lot of the turnover or, you know, have constant problems. But, you know, for us and trying to educate the pool guys out there and helping the guys that are kind of trying to build their their companies, this is going to be probably one of the biggest things that you need to do. You really need to you know, like Leanne was saying, get that muscle strong, get the resources, get the training, get the education, because it has a huge impact on your business. And not just from the standpoint of, oh, it's more work, but she talked about it. It was $6,400 for, you know, turnover. That's a a huge number that I, I didn't know. So that's, you know, that's scary within itself. I think the hiring process, and that's maybe why it's been such a hot topic. And I didn't think it was going to be such a hot topic for our podcast, but it has been such a, a hot topic is because people need to find the resources to be able to talk about it. And I definitely want to thank Leanne for coming on the podcast and really doing a deep dive. There's a lot of great information, Zach, a lot, a lot of information that I think the guys are and girls out there are going to be able to use to, you know, make changes to their business. Yeah, definitely. Big thank you, Leanne. I know that you're super busy with everything that's going on and you've taken the time on several occasions to walk me through or kind of help me through certain situations or just help me improve some of our processes in general. So I I really appreciate that. My pleasure. It's uh, obviously my passion, so (laughs) I, I enjoy it. It's bad enough, Zach, that we had her kind of put in a long day of work and then we asked her to do the podcast on a special time zone after work. And, you know, here it is eight o'clock at night and we're kind of still digging. And I'm sure we could probably talk for another hour if we really kind of wanted to on this topic. It's such a great, interesting topic. So. All right, guys. So Leanne, Zach, I want to thank you guys for your time and we will pick it up next Friday. Zach, talk to you guys later. Have a great one. Talk to you guys later. Thanks. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to the Pool Nation podcast, a member of the Pool Nation family. You can listen to us live every Friday here at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central, and 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. You can find us at Pool Nation or PoolNationPodcast.com, on Facebook, or on Instagram at Pool.Nation. And to find more info about Pool Invoice, the billing software built specifically for the pool industry, go to PoolInvoice.com. Before you go, this is what the pool industry has been waiting for. PoolManUniversity.com. It's the first platform dedicated to learning the swimming pool service and repair industry. A pool service community where you can connect and find videos on business, service, water chemistry, and repairs. See you there at PoolManUniversity.com. Pool Nation, all rights reserved. No part of this podcast may be reproduced in a verbal or nonverbal way, may not be distributed. It may not be distributed in any social media platforms or transmitted in any other forms or any other means, including recording or other electronic or mechanical methods without the prior written permission of Pool Nation.